Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Uh, today, just at the beginning, I am going to do a little bit of mail and news, and then I'm just going to turn things over to Phil and Mike, uh, who have a guest today, Jim McDonald, um, who wants to talk about YouTube and social media and how it affects lifting and that sort of thing. I'm very curious. I'm, I'm sad I have to miss it. I'm going to check in on that myself. But let's get right into it. This first uh, piece of mail. Strength and Muscle Sport News is by Mitch. He contacted us just a little while ago uh, with some questions, and this time I think it's uh, almost just a a success tale that's not unlike what Phil has explained before with diabetes and using barbells, right, to help people heal. Uh, it just says, Mitch again, uh, I have a new client who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease three years ago. She had explained to me that one of her side effects was that she's unable to swing her arms while she walks. She's been going to Parkinson's specific exercise classes for years to try to stay in shape. Uh, She started with me only two to three weeks ago, and I have been running her through a resistance training program. Today, she came up to me extremely excited, explaining to me that for the first time in over three years, she is now able to swing her arms while she walks. Is this something you have seen before or something that is typically seen in Parkinson's patients? Thanks again, Mitch. Okay, I can say that I am aware uh, that exercise helps Parkinson's. Uh, Parkinson's is a development of less dopamine production by the substantia nigra of the brain. uh, And exercise seems to help. And to your point, Mitch, exercise with barbells, resistance training, may actually help Uh, Even more, at least according to a 2013 paper from Movement Disorders. It's by Corcos and colleagues, C-O-R-C-O-S. Again, 2013 Movement Disorders. A two-year randomized controlled trial of progressive resistance exercise for Parkinson's disease. Now, I know a lot of our listeners don't necessarily have Parkinson's or worry too much about this, but uh, it's important to understand the interplay of a lot of the things we do. Exercise, coffee, dopamine, um, motor patterns, that sort of thing. So this abstract just says the effects of progressive resistance exercise on the motor signs of Parkinson's have not been studied in controlled trials. So oftentimes it's other types of exercise. Like I'm aware just down the road at Kent State, there's a professor there in the exercise science program that's looking at different kinds of cycling uh, for example. Uh, but interestingly, these authors actually compared uh, progressive resistance exercise with another kind of exercise that my understanding at looking at this is just more basic in general, stretching, balance, a little bit of strengthening types of things. Um, so they actually followed uh, pairs of patients that were matched for sex and off medication scores uh, as far as their Parkinson's disease rating scale. Uh, 
uh, and I'm not really familiar with these specific scales, uh, but interestingly, it says over a two-year period, uh, looking at six-month intervals, uh, they had a personal trainer that directed twice weekly sessions for the first six months and then once weekly sessions thereafter. But long story short, um, they had, let's see, of 51 patients, 20 in the progressive resistance exercise group and 18 in the more general group, as I understand it, completed the trial. At 24 months, the mean off medication scale, this UPDRS3 scale, decreased more for progressive resistance exercise than it did with uh, the more general type exercise that they were using. And they were calling that the modified fitness counts uh, group, MFC group. Um, Apparently the score, yeah, decreased more for progressive resistance exercise with a mean difference of minus 7.3 points, a a result that was statistically significant at the P.001 level. So looking highly probable. Uh, There were 10 adverse events in the resistance exercise group. There were seven in the other group. Uh, But it says that resistance exercise demonstrated a statistically and clinically significant reduction in UPDRS scores and is recommended as a useful adjunct therapy to improve Parkinsonian motor signs. So there you go. That's pretty cool stuff. Uh, The power of resistance exercise. Okay, one more. Uh, This came to my attention because of some of the work that I'm doing with uh, what coffee might do as far as carbohydrate metabolism in in young people uh, and how that might work. Uh, In any case, uh, this is specifically about insulin resistance, right? Now, a lot of young people don't have it, but a lot of middle-aged people people do. Uh, In fact, one out of three Americans have uh, insulin resistance or similarly termed pre-diabetes, that sort of thing. Normally, when we hear about these things, we think about gut fat, right? Uh, Abnormal blood lipid profiles and that sort of thing. But this paper disturbed me a little, so I thought I would share, uh, especially if we have people who lift very rarely, um, they might be big boys or big girls, but they only exercise, let's say, once a week. We've been talking about low-frequency training and that sort of thing. They don't have much of an aerobic base, that sort of scenario. Um, they could really be hampering muscle mass, especially as they move from youth into middle age. So check this out. This is by Bazano and Ting Ting. Um, long-term effects of insulin resistance on appendicular lean muscle. So we're literally talking about muscle on your limbs here. The paper is just a a couple of months old here from the Journal of Diabetes and its Complications. So they start off saying insulin resistance uh, is implicated in the process of aging, in particular cognitive and physical performance. So nobody wants their brain and, you know, physical prowess to fade. Uh, It says a growing body of evidence suggests that the pathogenesis of diseases commonly associated with aging, such as dementia or sarcopenia, and again, that's the muscle loss of aging, of course, unfolds many decades before later life. So this is something that starts much earlier. It's not just a disease of and for old people. Uh, If we take a look at this, insulin resistance is measured in young adulthood and its trajectories over time may affect appendicular muscle in middle age. Now, they're just talking about middle-aged people like myself. They're not talking about really old people. 
These findings are on the basis of data from seven examinations in 2,118 individuals spanning 20 years across early adulthood and midlife. Uh, so they go on to explain the results a little bit. Uh, in models without adjustment for cardiorespiratory fitness, a high increasing trajectory, so you're pointing yourself to muscle loss essentially, a high increasing trajectory of insulin resistance over two decades between young adulthood and middle age was associated with lower appendicular lean muscle, right? Lean mass in your limbs in midlife among both men and women. Now, then it just touches on a gender difference. It says uh, in models adjusting for cardiorespiratory fitness, so basically aerobic base, if they statistically try to remove that and just try to separate fitness itself from the insulin function, uh, but in models adjusting for cardiorespiratory fitness, the significant effect remained only among men. So in, in insulin resistance leading to poorer muscle mass in the limbs uh, of men. And many, many months ago, in fact, years ago, uh, Phil and Rob and myself, we had had discussions about why do some of these older bodybuilders, they seem to lose arm mass. Like they get thicker through the trunk and they just don't have the arm and leg mass uh, even though they might even still be using anabolic steroids and doing all these other things as professional bodybuilders, for whatever reason, they just, and maybe this is the reason, they start losing uh, limb mass. It says one alternative explanation, in their opinion, is that insulin resistance promotes an initial pathway of injury to muscular health uh, by disrupting, in part, capillary ultrastructure. So damaging your capillaries uh, also through inflammatory pathways that over time lead to atrophy. And then they just sort of explain a little bit that skeletal muscle is considered an endocrine organ. So we have to think about it not just as a functional like motor to move you around, but it's an endocrine organ that secretes various myokines that mediate insulin resistance. And it says, in addition, skeletal muscle is a primary tissue responsible for insulin-mediated glucose disposal. And I've read that before, that uh, in healthy people, 70% of your blood sugar should end up in your muscles, bro. So it says accumulating evidence indicates a close relationship between sarcopenia, again, muscle that you lose as you age, and insulin resistance. I just wanted to bring this to everybody's attention. Again, if you are the kind of person who trains infrequently, you don't have much of an aerobic base, you could be strong as hell and you could have a fair amount of lean mass now, uh, but you may be pointing yourself to less arm and leg muscle mass by the time you're middle-aged if you know you just go after extremely high calorie diets lots of carbohydrates lots of sugars and all that kind of stuff um, and don't put in much volume in the gym uh, and you you may actually be slightly insulin resistant now i hesitate to to say that i'm totally speculating here right because if you do exercise you have more glute four you have more glucose transporters that Every time you contract your muscles, you know, they, they soak up blood sugar. Or if insulin activates uh, the insulin receptor in muscle tissue, these, you have more of these GLUT4 glucose transporters. So fit people are unlikely to be insulin resistant. But sometimes I do wonder when I see a really overweight powerlifter or off-season bodybuilder, you know, and if they are in fact a little insulin resistant because of the low-frequency training and um, not much of an aerobic base and that sort of thing, uh, it could be a concern. Again, I hadn't seen much before on insulin resistance causing muscle loss. I've seen stuff on 
body fat accumulation. Uh, but it all sort of makes sense if you think about it. It's like a an anti-partitioning agent. I mean, why do athletes abuse anabolic steroids and growth factors and that sort of thing? Because they partition nutrients toward muscle mass. But this scenario uh, of insulin resistance seems to be doing the opposite. It's partitioning nutrients away from muscle mass or harming your capillary beds or inflammatory pathways, whatever's happening. And you end up storing more fat in your gut. So that doesn't sound good at all. All right. So I am done. I'm going to turn things over to uh, Phil and to uh, Dr. Nelson and to Jim McDonald. Good morning, everybody. This is Phil Stevens. It's Iron Radio. I'm a powerlifter, strength athlete. I run Strength Guild, do Highland Games, and a bunch of other stuff. So. Hey, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, creator of the FlexDide certification, faculty member at the Keurig Institute, and... Yeah, I'm actually, well, sort of at home. I'm up to my parents' place in Minnesota, <laughs> Alexandria, so I'm staring at a lake that looks like glass where I should be water skiing on, but I'm not. But I'm here. I'm excited. Hey. <laughs> and everybody, today we have Jim McDee on the podcast. Jim, thanks for joining us. Yeah, great to be here. Um, thanks for accommodating my somewhat later uh, in the morning request. I'm not an earpod entrepreneur, so I'm not up at 4 a.m. typically. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's good. It gives me some time to get some extra sleep before I have to go train. So yeah, uh, awesome. I'm good with that. Um, no, so I think a lot of our guests are probably familiar with you, but we need to do the the usual. Um, sure. Let's start out with like a training background. How what got you into training? Because that's I mean a lot of what our podcast is about. But um, like and initially, it's it was this. I had uh, really bad Osgood Schlatter's in my knees. You know where the tendon is trying to pull away from the bone because mm-hmm. of growth as a as a teenager so i was just shitty at sports and like and like i couldn't i couldn't run without my knee dropping <laughs> and so uh they offered a weightlifting class in high school instead of doing regular pe and so i did that and and i liked it and it you know it was kind of a battle to work it into my schedule from that point forward um just because i you know it was 1970 something, and uh, you know there weren't gyms everywhere you could go to. But uh, um, over the years, kept at it, and then uh, back in the early 2000s, um, made contact with uh, Jesse Burdick, and he uh, on one of those internet forums where everybody used to meet, <laughs> and uh, T Nation, yep. and. Uh, he invited me to uh, come watch a meet that was actually going on here in Sacramento, where I'm located. It was a APF state meet, and uh, I, you know, had a, a background. I have a I have a business degree. I have a couple of them, but I always liked film and, and audio. I took a bunch of classes in those areas, and when I was watching the meet, I was like, "Wow! Like that's the intensity is just amazing, and the expressions on people's faces are so you know uh, engaging to me." And I decided I might want to get involved in powerlifting. And so he invited me to come to Diablo Barbell. Uh, so in t- 2004, I actually started doing that. I was driving like over an hour a day to uh, one way to go over there three days a week. And uh, uh, that eventually led to me being involved in the founding of Super Training, which uh, – uh, I left in 2018 and, uh, so yeah, that was, I just, I just got hooked, I guess, just watching people lift with the 
kind of intensity that powerlifting requires. That's I got to touch on something here from the beginning of that. How many of us can like link our lineage back to T Nation? It's amazing. <laughs> Most of us. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how many of us connected on there like years ago. It's just, it's crazy. But I mean, that's how me and Lonnie initially met too. But uh, yeah, and, yeah. And the the bodybuilding.com forums are the same. There's a whole group of people there. You know, mm-hmm. your Lane Nortons and Eric Helms. It was a little later than the rest of us. Yeah. Um, with T Nation, but it was the same kind of thing. Want to be big? There's another one there too. <laughs> I'm in like a private Facebook group of people who used to be in Want to be Want to be big. Yeah. It's insane. So yeah. now that we got the lifting out of the way, so then I mean, I think a lot of people know you from then your your podcasting and social media and stuff like that. How did that come about? Where did that start and grow? Um, well, it started really with YouTube. Um, when I was at Diablo, I kept thinking, man, this is like a, this is like a reality show happening all around me all the time. There was just, you know, it was funny and it was drama and whatever. And I actually just started shooting a lot of video there with the thought of maybe doing something with it at some point. And then, um, and then super training started and it was, you know, it was a different vibe because, um, like I was a founding member. I wasn't, um, I wasn't just a you know somebody who came along later who was um, you know sliding into a situation, and so uh, I just started shooting a lot of stuff. And uh, shortly thereafter, YouTube became a thing. Um, we ended up uh, doing the first, maybe I think the first uh, fitness-related YouTube voiceover videos, and did a couple DVDs. And after a while, you get tired of shooting video. <laughs> You've kind of seen it all, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that those those videos were formative for a lot of people. I still still hear a lot of people um, from a lot of people talking about how they loved those early videos and how they learned so much from them. And we were just kind of just just documenting and describing what was going on in the gym. It was a conjugate based um, program, sort of, uh, not really Westside but close. And a lot of people followed along and programmed from it. So I, I I became interested in podcasting in sort of the first wave of podcasting, and I wondered, like, what we could do in that space. And then in 2013, came up with the idea for the PowerCast and uh, got that started, and it just became really successful really quickly, uh, more than I would have imagined. The engagement was tremendously greater than anything we'd ever did on ever done on YouTube. I was the uh, I was the brunt of one of those early videos. I still catch shit for this from people. At one of the meets, <laughs> at one of the meets, I don't remember what I pulled. I pulled seven fifty or seven seventy five or something like that. Uh-huh. And I literally pooped myself. <laughs> <laughs> I went up, cleaned up. And not like 48 seconds later after getting out of the bathroom, you throw a camera in my face and start asking questions. like, what is wrong with you? And that video is still going around there. And like, what is wrong with your face? I was like, dude, I just shit myself. Leave me alone. <laughs> but oh, my God. I would. Did you make the lift? <laughs> I made the lift, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the question. It was like, what was the, what was the single best thing I can tell a lifter or something like that? Oh, I was, oh, oh, I know. It was uh, – um... Oh Christ! Um, best advice. Yeah, the single, and I'm like, oh God, Jim, I don't <laughs> wipe your ass. I guess. 
Uh, you know, it's funny how, how how things change on YouTube. I, um, you know, when I put that together, I had a, a, just a piece of uh, of royalty free music that played underneath it. And this week, I started getting popped for copyright stuff on that. Uh, really? Like all this, all these years later, and you have to document back like where you got the music and stuff. But that was like a long time ago. Oh yeah, it was yeah. It's a whole, very long time ago. So, I mean, I remember purchasing that music. I actually had to look it up this week in 2010, and it's 2019. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, you know, I I I enjoyed that um, that kind of informational entertainment storytelling kind of stuff. And uh, uh, yeah, it's still thousands and thousands and thousands of people still watch this stuff all the time. So then you grow. I mean, the power cast turns into a juggernaut. You have all that going on. Um, where are you headed now? What do you got going on? Um, see, I left in uh, – well, the show ended in 2018. Uh, I did a nine-episode solo show, and I was really happy with it. It was really a lot of work. And after a while, um, I decided to re-team with uh, Mike Farr, Silent Mike. And now we do a show uh, called 50% Facts, and it is um, you know, back in the same feed as the original PowerCast because I started the show, so I own that. Um, and the format of that show is that we take a particular question, like one question in health and fitness, and uh, try to answer it ourselves. And then we bring in an expert at the end to – actually tell us what the real deal is so it's kind of like a bro science versus real science arrangement uh it's a lot of fun we have a pretty smooth production process uh we're just actually getting ready to add video to that so that there'll be a youtube version that will not necessarily directly track the audio version since we started in youtube it sort of makes sense that we would be there except that um i Honestly, I fell in love with being able to edit the audio mm-hmm. <laughs> and and make it be exactly what I wanted it to be. Yeah. And it's taken a little while for me to decide that eh, it's okay for the video version to be significantly different. There was a video version of the PowerCast that, you know, I did both versions. I produced both versions, and it was a lot of work. And uh, and I learned over time that I really liked the audio editing to, you know, just clean things up and, and um, clarify points and take away people's uh, crutch words and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I d- decided that I couldn't do that for video. Yeah. <laughs> and so I backed off the video version. But we're we're getting ready to actually spool that up in the next couple of weeks here. Nice. I think that's what, how we just put the auto version on both now. Yeah. And just with a little picture up. But <laughs> a lot of that's because we're just too lazy to go with video. And, and I don't want to put clothes on. So. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, totally understand that. I um, also am in conversations with Michael Fahey, who uh, uh, directed, produced West Side vs. the World, about doing a podcast relative to the return of the WPO. There you go. Hmm. Um, Which I think could be a big deal. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was interesting to me. We talked about this not long ago about, like... It seems like raw lifting like did away with multiply. But from what you were telling me is like multiply hasn't changed, it's just raw lifting has gotten much bigger. 
Yeah, I think it's the no, I think that Michael's research uh, through open powerlifting seems to show that the the same number of people, the same basic number of people, are competing every year. Just we don't see it because it's not necessarily in our areas, and mm-hmm. there's so much more raw. Yeah, just you know, raw really grew. It really exploded. I. Um, I, I remember being surprised by that at the time because, like, my my entree to powerlifting was all gear, like, all the time, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. much as possible, as many layers as you could get away with. Mm-hmm. And then um, Stan Efferding came to our gym and was um, competing raw and looking to uh, compete against, um, I think it was Johnny Jackson at that mm-hmm. point. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> for world's strongest bodybuilder at the Olympia, and uh, just so much grew up around that. I mean, that uh, the meet that we did for him ended up having no entry fees, and it was during the economic downturn, so nobody had any money anyway. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the videos that came out of that made a big difference. I didn't actually shoot the those my um. Uh, my father was uh, in the process of passing away and it was kind of in an eight day period where he was passing away. And so I didn't actually get to shoot very much of that, but uh, uh, my son shot it for me. And then uh, backyard meet of the century one and two made a big deal, a big splash in, um, in raw lifting. Um, The, my God, I'm, I'm I'm blanking on it. The big raw meet in uh, Florida, Oh, raw unity or whatever. Raw unity, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All of those things seem to make a difference, and they yeah. they they sort of rode the wave and created this whole situation we have now, where people believe that um, that knee sleeves were, you know, <laughs> classic old powerlifting, yeah. which was not true at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I get comments every day. People saying, "Oh, I don't like sumo," or "Don't arch when you bench," or and all this bullshit. It's like, come on, folks, yeah. seriously? Yeah. Like, who 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 anointed uh, sad internet guy yeah. <laughs> as, as the commentator yeah. for uh, what gear should be used in powerlifting? Yeah, no, I still get in arguments about that with sleeves versus wraps all the time. It's like, oh, it's, sleeves are old school. No, no, they're really not. <laughs> but. Back to the 50% podcast. I think sure. you hit on it uh, uh, briefly there. I think the big thing that I like about it is that the whole bro science and real science, whereas a lot of podcasts are 100% bro science. And right. you know both of them are interesting. And you guys, oddly enough, from the ones I listen to, you actually do a pretty damn good job at not being idiots. <laughs> Your bro science isn't that far off many times. But, it's, it, but then you get the reassurance from the expert. It's kind of a... Uh, right, yeah. Nice. There, there's nothing that we can say that an expert can't say better. Yeah. Um we we're, we're not um we're not stupid, I guess, and we're not uninitiated in these areas. We're going to move toward areas where we both have less um uh less of a strong footing, let's say. Yeah. And so it's more likely to be a bigger <laughs> difference between the bro science and the uh and the real science. That's kind of always been the plan is to continue to expand it. The whole idea of the show was to kind of create a resource where people could find the one thing that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole podcasting world te- tends to be like longer shows 
with multiple, multiple topics. And most people don't do detailed show notes that give you a time stamp for when you can listen to somebody talk about a particular thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why we, we have a, a time stamp for when the expert comes on. If somebody just wants to consume the show that way, they can. Mm-hmm. And um, as long as they listen to the ads, I don't care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, even that, though, in and of itself, I think is very interesting. Um, like literally touching on a topic you really aren't educated in and just guessing. Yeah. You know, that's kind of interesting. It's like, let's see how close I really am, you know, when we bring the expert in. But at least I like the fact that then you are bringing the expert in because there's so many people out there just just diarying on a microphone and then people believe it. So you're you're backing it up with with something substantial. So yeah, that was the idea. I didn't want to. Um, I'm not a guru. I'm not an expert in in um, any of the health and fit, fitness topics. It, I would be happier hearing from somebody else to tell me exactly what what's up, or to tell me that that it is not decided, and that um, that things that people take as fact are maybe not. They're just uh, um, things that have gotten currency on the internet that don't necessarily have um, a lot of factual basis. But the thing is that people just want to be led yeah. on on topics. They want somebody to tell them a thing, and having an expert come in is helpful in that regard. Oh yeah, I mean, how many? I think that's that's probably true with almost anything. I mean, how many times, Mike, do we get like, tell me exactly how many pills to take? Eh, you know, it's kind of in this range, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every kind of gray area. I mean, nothing, not much is really set in stone. Yeah. No. That's that's kind of one of the things that, that we've learned. We're, you know, 40-something episodes in now is that, uh, yeah, things are not as solid as you think they would be. Uh, another one is that everything is a – how you should act is a lot more simple than people want to make it. Yeah. You know how you should train, how you should eat. All these things are relatively simple. People just don't like to believe it because it doesn't seem like enough. And I mean, how many times does somebody start uh, a diet and an exercise routine, and they they want to throw every variable in the world into mm-hmm. it because they're like, you know, I'm somehow short on time. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I'm I only have you know five years to you know be on the beach in in mexico during the summer whatever and so they throw everything in the kitchen sink at their their particular problem and then they wonder why uh either things don't work because they switch them up or they just did so many things it's difficult to tell what actually worked yeah one of my little favorite phrases is physiology is complex but your actions are simple Right. And this could yeah. be from you know, having an in-depth discussion about a, a deadlift to protein to whatever micronutrient. But at the end of the day, you pick the weight up off the floor, you eat the steak, you eat the vegetable. It's All the actions themselves are actually relatively simple. And people just want to confiscate both of them. Right? You've got the people who are like, ah, oh, physiology is so simple. Like, Don't listen to all a bunch of those nerds. And you know, oh, don't listen to that advanced lifter. That's, you know, too complex. And then you've got people who mm-hmm. want to just make all their actions, like, way too complicated. It's like, oh, no, I need these 18 different things, like you said, to get lean for Mexico. It's like, no, you probably just need to start with eating less. <laughs> you know? <Right. laughs> yeah. 
Yes, yeah. exactly. Like they they kick off the morning with uh, a bunch of butter and, and or uh, coconut oil in their coffee, and then it's a nutritional choice after nutritional choice after that that they've pulled from the internet and not really thought about. Oh, how many calories might there be in that? And um, there's what, no insulin it, release, so you're okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's oh my god. <laughs> I think we've all we've all seen that. Now, I mean, we you know we get pitched because um, we work with an with an agency that gets us uh, uh, sponsors, and there'll be things that come up that you know we we have the opportunity to say no to things, yeah. and we've said no a number of times because like no, that's that's like seriously bro science. Like that's we're trying to have some credibility with the show, <laughs> you know. We're we're not trying to sell somebody something that uh, is going to be a waste of their time and and their money. So you're not sponsored yeah. by a Deer Velvet supplement to raise your testosterone. That's not a key sponsor yet. We are not. <laughs> I guessed on that. I'm like, I hope you're not going to say, "Well, we just had that episode aired." But <laughs> no, and you know, like the most recent thing that we that we turned down was a CBD, and like everybody's doing CBD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you've tried it, like I've tried it, and I didn't, didn't find that it did anything. It's yeah. like, well, if I'm going to do it, the way it has to work is somebody's going to have to give me some or I'm going to have to buy some of a brand that I felt like actually worked for me. And then I might be willing to endorse it. Yeah. But even still, it's an area that's somewhat tainted because everybody's doing it and not everybody gets the same results. Yeah, and there's such a... I mean, I do a lot of talks on CBD. I have one coming up again, and it's a it's hard because, like, even the podcast I did recently, they're like, "Oh, it's all crap." I'm like, "Well, it has all of the markers of something that looks very scammy because you can buy it everywhere now. It's claimed to do everything, everything. under the sun, and there's right. you know, how many different companies have just sprouted up overnight and selling at a price point that I know it's not. There's no way it can be legit." You know, and then on the flip side is there's some, you know, pretty interesting possible good uses for it, but it's, yeah, and it's not like a caffeine or something that you may necessarily feel. You may be a little bit of anti-anxiety or things of that mm-hmm. nature, but if you're not a real anxiety-driven type person, then you probably won't notice any different either. So it's, I agree that it's right in the middle of that area and it's, Yeah becoming one of those things where it's yeah, it has all the let's say the bad markers of the supplement industry that i thought died in the 80s and 90s but it yeah. looks like it hasn't <laughs> no it's it reminds me of a story i don't remember it was four or five years ago i was walking around the arnold with windler and uh, everybody's always reaching for something the next greatest thing and we're looking at all the booths as we roll through there and there was one booth in particular that had no one at it not one person yeah. And it was a testosterone replacement booth. And it was like the one fucking the one thing. The one thing in this building that actually works. And there's no one there. You know? <laughs> it's guaranteed to work. You know. So we both had a good laugh for that. But uh. well, we haven't gotten that pitch yet, but we'll be on that on that wagon. Yeah. We yeah. we we've done um uh, hair loss prevention. I, I'm fine with it. I know that those drugs exist. I know that they work. They have for a lot of people. They have a long, you know, proven history in that regard. We've done 
uh, erectile dysfunction meds. Those things work. People know about them. They're fine. Um, I'm okay standing behind those, but it seems like CBD, I'm not there. Something like Kratom, I would never endorse because there, there are issues there too. So, um, yeah, this is where we are with the industry. I'm happier with, you know, things like luggage and, and protein <laughs> supplements, <laughs> glasses, and, you know, the, the mainstream po- um, podcast sponsor, uh, Merry Go Round. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the well, stuff that's... people send me in the mail, too. Like, I've even been pretty open. That's like, no, I don't want your CBD you made in your bathtub. Like, don't send it to me. <laughs> I'm not going to take it. You know, because people hear, like, you talk about CBD, and they're like, oh, let me send you some. I'm like, dude, the amount of time it's going to take me to figure out if I even want to, in, you know, take it myself is insane. I'm probably just not going to spend the time doing it on your product I've never heard of. On the flip yeah. side, it's like, why can't someone, like, send me, like, protein and fish oil you know it's like yeah. some stuff i'm gonna use <laughs> yeah we actually um are picking up a protein sponsor which is not something we've done before and we were um we were on onboarding call with the ceo of the company who was telling us you know what don't you like about my product so that i can take that back to my nice. my team it's like well that's that's new to me mm-hmm. um is normally with the protein companies that tell you it's the very best and yes. it mixes well and it tastes amazing. It's, it tastes like a milkshake. How many times did oh, you yeah. read oh, it? Yeah. Like a yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, we're we're trying to play in a different arena with that because hey, we got to pay the bills. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sitting in a studio that that isn't free, um, largely because it's very difficult to work out of my house or or Mike's house or whatever. It's just um, it's a lot easier this way, and I can also produce other shows in this space which it's very difficult i don't know about you guys you guys have been doing this for 10 years so you're you're plus you so you you guys know it is difficult to do a weekly show it is difficult to get the personnel to do a weekly show with you Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's time consuming and you have to streamline it as much as you possibly can uh to make it viable oh yeah yeah and i mean the biggest thing for us has been there's multiple of us because yeah. there have been yeah. times like the one thing we've done is never miss a week, but there's been a lots of weeks I missed or yeah. lots yeah. of weeks Lonnie missed, you know, and that helps so much because um, we'd be ruined if not. <laughs> but, right. Uh, so right. Know, life, we, life happens. We batch record um, our shows. We, we typically record the front end of each show uh, just in, in one session, mm-hmm. the front ends of each, like if we're going to talk to an expert about three topics, we record the front end of those, and then when we bring the guest in, we we record the back end of each one. Wow. So just like boom, 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 and then throw them together, and, and that's the show. Sweet. There you go. It allows us to get ahead. It allows us to get ahead. If the show were not formatted that way, I don't think it would be possible to do that. Yeah. You know? I can't. I, I probably shouldn't give away this information on air to our listeners, but I'm going to. It's. I don't know how many weeks. It's like Lonnie calls me up, and we're like, oh, shit. Hi, right, bro. We got to go on there. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> I think that's it, it, always, it always works, man. So let's go ahead and take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the topic of the day, which is how social media, YouTube, all that has affected lifting. Sure. Hey, listeners. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you, uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. 
all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we're back, and again, we have Jim McDee on. He's joining us from California. Um, we're going to talk about how lifting over the years has affected, or how social media and YouTube has affected lifting. So, Jim, take it away, man. I want to hear what you got to say about this. Well, I remember back in maybe 07, 08, uh, looking at this thing called Google Trends. And if you put in a keyword, it tells you just how many times something's been searched. And the curve for powerlifting just <laughs> it was like down. It was like it not not didn't start from a high place at that point and was trending down. But well, this is going to die as a as a media uh, topic. Um, we can do any everything that we want to do in the world, but people are not going to be interested because uh, basically it's dying out. And I had every reason to believe that that was the case because. It was uh, very multiply driven at that point, and uh, you know the WPO had hit the skids, uh, which is you know the sort of the thing everybody thought was the 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 highest level of achievement, and the um, the APF seniors was a little all over the place at that point. The APF in California was got very strange for a while there, and I still don't know if it actually still exists. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> It, it really looked like it was dying off, and then somewhere along the line, some of the stuff I was talking about earlier—those you know raw meats and getting the videos up, 
up of those online and the live streams out of out of our meets, out of um, Raw Unity. And then uh, suddenly a whole bunch of youngsters got involved in powerlifting because they saw those clips and others and um, it just started taking off. People had channels about their lifting, mm-hmm. like their individual lifting, which wasn't so much a thing before that were popular. Um, I think that Instagram may have had the biggest impact uh, from the social media standpoint. I think that CrossFit using some of the methodologies made a big difference too because CrossFit mm-hmm. got hot. Um, mm-hmm. cross- the, the Olympic lifting world and the powerlifting world and the gymnastics world uh, all benefited enormously from the growth of CrossFit. Oh, yeah, huge. How much of this... How much of this, I mean, goes to, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, like all of us started, kind of met on a forum, and forums were huge, and this was before social media was big. Right. Social media gave kind of all those people on those forums a place to go then. Right. You know? Because, I mean, you can't deny, I mean, I can't deny how much, like before forums, you just had to run into somebody that did this shit. And yeah. then those came about, and oh, how huge did that help us? I mean, that's how I was able to connect with you and Burdick and Mark and Jim, and you know, all of us were on there. And right. then this stuff comes around. <laughs> so, I mean, it's been kind of growing from that. I mean, the forums seemed like kind of the first place that that allowed this to start to, to develop, and then then this explosion of Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And so, would you agree? I mean, that's kind of how it started. Was there, and then it just gave. It was the next step. Oh, yeah. And I think that social media in large part has replaced those things. Um, not Maybe not entirely replaced them, but it's they're certainly not what they were before. They're certainly not the, the prime influencer anymore mm-hmm. the way they were back in the maybe early 2000s. Um, I still have a group of friends that um, from the early 2000s who are a lot of them are like people in the industry now, like actual like real people uh, <laughs> who were just kids back then. Uh, you know, Eric Cressy was one of those people back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, though they had an enormous influence. A lot of those people wanted to write and a lot of them did. Um, uh, some of them got into uh, search engine optimization as experts. Some of them got into uh, program development, eBooks, um, you know, that f- big funnel marketing. And uh, that's kind of the other part of it, the the other part of the fitness industry that, you know, powerlifting hasn't really benefited as much from, I think, um, that that kind of marketing approach. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, how how do you think it is? What's been the biggest benefit, maybe? And then potentially what's the biggest Downfall. I think I can answer that myself, but I'd, I'd like to hear, hear what you have to say. I uh, think the biggest benefit is that people um, saw it as something they could do. Mm-hmm. Like I can, oh, I can go to the, especially since, especially when we got into the more raw era. It's like I could go to a gym and I could lift in this particular way, and I would get stronger. I'm gonna not be as strong as some of the people that I see, but I could get stronger. There are people who are who look like me, who are not necessarily any stronger than me, who are competing in powerlifting, I could do that if I wanted to. And I could, if I stick to, stick with it, I could get stronger. Yeah. Um, I think that that's maybe the, the 
the biggest benefit is bringing people into the sport. I think that the other thing is obviously it's more possible to sell p- things to those people now than it used to be. Uh, Dave Tate used to say, and he probably still does, that powerlifters were kind of the worst um, uh, uh, customers because they were cheap and, all, and, and broke, some combination of cheap and broke. And now that's not really the case. I mean, it's crossing a lot of socioeconomic lines, a lot of um, young professionals get into powerlifting who would not have before, I think. Uh, I think that helps. I think that the detrimental thing is that uh, it really drives ego. And you see a lot of um, – I see a lot of, of things, people doing things in, in particular Instagram videos that they probably shouldn't have done because it doesn't actually make sense in their, their trending. It doesn't benefit them yeah. other than how it looks on social media. Yeah. So um, what's your answer, Phil? <laughs> well, I mean, my answer would be, I mean, it's like that. It's given a lot of people the ability to say, yeah, I can do this. Um, the other thing, and we talked about this a lot, it gives a voice to so many people that shouldn't have one. Yeah. (laughs) It's so easy to have a really big voice now. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I mean, who's going to be the police? You know, you, you can't, that's just like with anything, like who's going to be the governing body of everything fitness. Eh, Nobody will ever be able to tell you that because nobody will ever agree. (laughs) Right. uh, I mean, one of the big things to me, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, women in lifting, when I started, oh yeah, there would have been maybe, like, you were surprised to see one woman at a meet. And now, I mean, I have to believe that social media has, has greatly helped that rise um, in, in women being in the sport. And now they are huge. You know, yeah. They are it, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that they've proven that uh, we can't look at them that way anymore. You can't look at them as <laughs> as as not uh, not strong, not oh. able to be strong. They are very many times more dedicated and steady yeah. with their lifting than guys could be. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that that CrossFit helped that too, uh, because you saw a lot of a lot of women in CrossFit, like muscular women in CrossFit, um, you know, performing well really well and i think that 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 just that image makes a difference uh there were there were women back then but the percentage was so much smaller than it is now yeah uh something else you said spurred something oh i know actually what it was i was thinking just back to for a second there isn't any like overlord of social media that that makes people prove that things are are true there isn't any overlord of of uh, YouTube or podcasting or whatever that makes people uh, have to conform to certain standards. And uh, I think that that's been good, but it, it's it's also been really bad. And it's it's the, the podcasting space can confounds those of us who do it all the time mm-hmm. because kind of anybody and now even celebrities are getting into it and spouting off a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily – helpful yeah and there's nobody there's just, no accountability part of it just sort of breeds <clears throat> controversy i mean you could be kind of a, a nobody or have no following and just put out something extremely controversial and be really loud about it and it just seems like people are drawn towards that and it may not necessarily be the 
best information or even vetted or the person even has any background in it at all, but it'll get eyeballs and ear holes attracted to it. Oh, yep. That's nothing. Yeah, new. who's the dude? I'll probably get. I'll probably get myself in trouble here. But who's the dude that like sits in his car with a do rag on and yells? Oh, and just I gets huge, know. huge hits. I mean, it's so not him, my thing. For, for just, I mean, he's literally just pissed off. You know, is yeah. all it is. And uh, oh, I mean, not the saying it's bad. I don't know because I really don't listen to it because I just can't. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know the name of that that particular one. I know what you're talking about because I've yeah. seen little snippets go by. You see them on other social media platforms. Yeah. I think that's another thing too is that um, I just I was at Podcast Movement a couple of weeks ago in Orlando, and one of the things they talked about was that you don't don't think about it as a podcast anymore. But the podcast is just the audio version of your show, and your show can have many other versions, including mm. you know video or on social media platforms. That n- maybe it's not always the same. Maybe you snippets out of it, but maybe you can provide additional information in another uh, another media format that uh, that reaches people and reinforces the audience of the show, and that's. It seems seems to me that the people who are most successful are doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They're uh, broadened out across many platforms. You can see, you know, somebody's snippets of somebody's YouTube video on on Instagram or on Facebook or um, you know one of the other platforms, and they just are coming at you from all angles, whether they're good or not. Yeah, and that's likely an area we've probably failed greatly on. Is yeah. The- <laughs> we just we just don't do that. Yeah. But you know, but we've held fast to our. We just want to put out good stuff. Yeah. Well, and that's literally all we're about. But uh, what we is it that um, too? We, we have other things we have going on. Yeah, we have right, a yeah. limited time so, thing and budget. Yeah. Right. That's that's very true. The um, what was it that that uh, Max Aida always says about um that he was always told about getting a lift either uh, execute the lift as best you can or as as perfectly as possible or however you can yeah and, <laughs> and i and i think that that it comes down to that like what what are you what can you sustain mm-hmm. and um when we started 50% facts the idea was what can how can we construct this in a way that we are comfortable that we can sustain it and then we can add to it over time uh should we feel so moved and uh, we're finally at the point of feeling so moved about about adding video well and that's probably goes back to when we talked about people starting a new fitness or diet regimen is probably the same same thing thing. yeah everybody jumps into this podcast field and they're like oh we're gonna do it all and then they realized a month in that oh i'm overwhelmed yeah (laughs) yeah so it can be overwhelming for sure and then you see it it's gone you know, there's four episodes and there's no more. Yeah. Um, uh, how many of those are there? There are probably more than there are that have lasted. Uh, so. Yeah, I've seen estimates about like that. About that, there are maybe seven hundred thousand or so uh, podcasts listed on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wow. and more than five hundred thousand of those have pod faded. They yeah. they did a few episodes or they did a couple years or whatever, and then they just mm-hmm. stopped. And that's kind of the thing I ran into with the solo show that I did. I loved it, but I made it so much work for myself. Mm-hmm. I will revisit it at some point. I have other stories that I want to tell there, but that those first nine were the ones that I felt most strongly about. 
and um, they they just took a lot of effort. Yeah, really sucked it out of me. So I had a quick question about any opinion on length, because I've heard people now say that you know very short snippet daily ish type podcasts are becoming more popular, but yet. When you look at some of the rankings, you see guys like you know Joe Rogan who do very long, sort of specialized type shows. Or do you think it just goes back to whatever you can put out, just put it out and be consistent? I think that that is correct. I think that whatever you can put out and be consistent with is is the way to go. I think that uh, the option of shorter shows is a good thing. We intended because we the show we were doing before was at least an hour, sometimes yeah. two. And I didn't want to do that again. So our target is about 35. Um, we do 45, usually not more than 50, 55. Um, and some of that has to do with how long, how much information the expert has for us. And some of it has to do with how long the opening segment goes where Mike and I just bullshit. Um, and that's something that we could honestly cut and i have done that um that was another one one of the reasons why i didn't jump into video because i felt sometimes we went a little long there and now we don't anymore i feel pretty comfortable with the amount of time that we spend bsing it's the personality establishment part of the show uh, people who have been following us for a long time i think that's a, a thing that they key in on is that that's when we actually show what our relationship is and uh, basically it's like sitting in the room with us and uh, we don't usually wander way off track. Um, a thing about Joe Rogan that people don't necessarily understand is that most people don't, who are fans of Joe Rogan's do not listen to every show yes. that he produces. And they certainly don't listen to every minute of every show. That's part of why he front loads his ads. Yeah, definitely. Uh, because that, I mean, he's going to get people in the first 10 minutes. They don't, they don't skip that. Um, his interests are all over the place. And uh, and he's Joe Rogan, yeah. you know. I mean, that's <laughs> if you're not Joe Rogan, you maybe shouldn't do, you know, two or three hour podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's a question. I'd like to. This is something I've been thinking about for a while, and you are probably the person to ask. Sure. <sighs> Powerlifting meets mm -hmm. and sh like streaming mm -hmm. or uh, video one. I've been to a lot, and I watch the streams, and I do this and that. And in my head, none of them are done well. Mm -hmm. But I think it could be. Okay. I think there's an opportunity for somebody. Like, you've been to Powerlifting Meets, too, and there's a shit ton going on besides on the platform. In my mind, if you had some kind of crew that, of course, you have the camera on the platform. Mm -hmm. But if you, let's say you ran three cameras, platform, backroom, something else, and commentators. In my head, you could make a full day of very interesting content that could be on ESPN or could be on whatever. I mean, right. if you had the right people, why hasn't this happened and will it? Uh, why hasn't it happened is a really good question. It's um, – I think that a lot of uh, – basically you're talking about like kind of sideline reporters or people who are yeah. backstage picking up stuff. I don't know why that hasn't happened. That one seems like a gimme. Uh, to me, uh, it, it could just be resources. Um, commentators, I think, is something that that uh, I know that the the new WPO stuff that's going to be for streaming will have commentators mm -hmm. to help fill things in. But I think that without the 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 uh, kind of human human interest 
like packages that they run about somebody a lifter's background mm-hmm. or that you know that they could run the things that they do for world's strongest man or for the yeah. olympics particularly for the olympics uh i think that would all all help um uh, i i don't know uh what is coming i don't i think that to be able to sell it to a broader audience, we need those things. I mean, just in my head, I think even if you had two cameras, one in the yeah. back room, one up front, I mean, how interesting would it be? Because, I mean, literally, how long does the lift take? 15 seconds? Yeah. With the walkout seconds, and everything? Yeah. Yeah. And then the majority of the time is loading and crap. So you come, you yeah. film that lift, you talk about that lift, and bam, right to the back room. Here's, here's Eddie Cohen. He's in the back room. What do you have to say? You know, whatever. Yeah. You know, there's so much, and you could keep that. Or, you know, there's dumb shit that happens in the warm-up room all the time that is much more interesting than the platform. (laughs) (laughs) My my understanding from Michael Fahey on this uh, uh, WPO ESPN thing is that he's not producing it. There is an actual producer that produces live events Mm. that will be um, handling that. And so maybe they'll do that. I don't know. I I wish I had an answer to that question. I think it could be gold, man. I think if I had the time and money and commitment, I would do it. But... (laughs) I'm yeah, well, so I, I feel uh, you on that point, and that's uh, I used to like to film people's uh, uh, basically their psych up mm-hmm. before they before yeah. they the platform. Um, that that to me was sometimes much more meaningful than watching the lift, and yes. I could sometimes tell whether people were going to make the lift yeah, based yeah. on psych up. Like. Yeah, so all right, let's call it there, man. It was good having you on. So you got anything to say? Where do where do people go to find the podcast and? Stuff that's coming up in the future. Uh, the uh, I am at the Jim McD on pretty much all the social media. The show is fifty percent facts, where percent is a word. Uh, so we're on uh, Instagram and Twitter, and then I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, that's anything I do going forward. You'll be able to find it there. There you go. So cool. thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we will cut it there, and we'll talk to everybody next week. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So 
Thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.